morning everyone. Um, we're going to continue on um, in the book of Acts today, just at the tail end of, of Acts 9. Um, got a big long reading today, big long story about a man called Cornelius that spreads itself over quite a lot of verses, but that's okay, it's a good story, it's an interesting story, um, and there's lots to learn from it. So we're going to begin... Um, in chapter 9, just in the, the very last verse, just to lead us into it. So it's chapter 9, verse 43. Acts chapter 9, verse 43. And it begins like this. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God. He came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up uh, on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheep being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you are looking for, why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that we could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men to the house to be his guests. The next day Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are all well aware that it is against our law for you to associate or visit with a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. 
sent to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent you uh, for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge over the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking, these words the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they asked Peter to stay with them uh, for a few days. It was a big long reading. I'm just going to ask the Lord um, to help us just as, as we look at it, just to, to understand um, what it is he wants to know from his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask for your presence with us today, Lord. We just pray that you would you would open our minds and our hearts, Lord, just to, to, to listen to the Holy Spirit, what he has to say to us. Um, Father, we just pray that this, this your word would be life-changing for us, Lord, that we would leave here uh, to obey what it is you would have us to obey. For your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen. wonder, have you ever heard the phrase, uh, outside looking in? What does that mean? I checked it on my good friend Google and I said this when you're in a group or two other people you want to be friends with but they ignore you and develop a stronger connection with each other a connection that you wanted thus you are on the outside looking in I wonder have you ever felt like that I think it's fair to say that we all have at some point for some reason we feel like we're on the outside looking in excluded pushed out by friends or some group and it hurts we've all been like that at time we've all felt like that there are people around us who are excluded for many reasons it could be something uh, like money it could be because of the clothes don't fit into that particular group we didn't go to the right school we didn't get the right qualifications or we're the wrong religion I could go on and on I wonder what you were doing in August 1975 there was a song uh, in the church only about half the room were even alive then but that's okay I'll read it to you there was a song in the church it was called uh, at 17 and it was just a story of a teenager who was on the outside looking in it said this it said I learned the truth at 17 
that love was meant for beauty queens and high school girls with clear-skinned smiles. At 17, I learned the truth that those of us with ravaged faces, lacking in the social graces, desperately remained at home. It's a song we've been on the outside looking in. It's hard to be on uh, the outside. We all want to be on the inside with the cool kids. There's lots that we can learn from this passage in Acts today. And one of the things that we, we can learn and we will learn is that God loves the outsider. In fact, he goes to great lengths to bring the outsider in to his family. In, in from the cold and into the people of God. And when you think about it, that's what Jesus did. God sent Jesus to bring back, to buy back the, the outsiders and bring them into the family of God. This, this uh, passage from Acts today is also about an insider, Peter, uh, who had to learn uh, obedience to Jesus. He had to learn to accept the outsider uh, to, to bring him in, uh, just as he had been accepted at a time and brought in uh, to the family. You know, there's only one relationship, one, one inner circle in life that it's really important to be in. One relationship that matters, one family that matters and of course it's God's family and a relationship with Jesus Christ and that's all that matters so today I just want to look at this passage don't panic I'm not going to speak through every verse all 49 of them um, we, we break it into chunks um, first thing I want to look at is sort of the first outsider I want to look at is Simon the Tanner um, if you just look at that, that last verse there in chapter 9 Verse 43, Simon uh, the Tanner. We've looked at a few Simons so far. We're, we're talk, we've talked about Simon Peter. Uh, we've looked at Simon the Magician, but this is a different Simon. Again, common name, obviously, around this time. Simon the Tanner was an outsider. Why was he an outsider? What, what do we know uh, about Simon? Peter stays at his house. It tells us that. So why was Simon an outsider? Well, first of all, can I tell you about tanneries? Okay, well, Simon the tanner. What, what does that actually mean? He prepared leather on a tannery where, where Peter stayed was a place where leather is prepared. What's the problem with that, you may ask? Let me tell you about tanneries. Tanneries are gross. They are, as we would say, stinking. They are absolutely minging. A tanner, uh, in, in these days, certainly was regarded as one of the most unclean trades in their society. It even gives us a clue here in verse 32 that the smell was so bad that the tannery had to be downwind of the town and it had to be by the sea so that the sea breeze would blow the smell away uh, from the town. The smell was so gross that there was actually provision in the law that a uh, a woman married to a tanner was actually able, without too much fuss or hassle, to divorce her husband if she changed her mind. So she could literally divorce her husband if he smelled bad. How many women would, would appreciate that today? I don't know. Quite a few years ago, I had reason to visit a tannery. It was first thing in the morning. I was sent there with work. I got into the building and two minutes later, I was outside. And I was trying to hold things back. It made me wretch. Tanneries are, are gross. So for obvious reasons, Simon is a bit of an outsider. 
And this is where Peter ends up staying. Simon was an outsider who didn't get many visitors. You wouldn't probably have wanted to go to Simon's birthday parties for obvious reasons. But this is where Peter ends up staying. Verse 43 says, for some time. And there's a lesson, a simple, very simple lesson here for Christians uh, to learn here. Serving Jesus brought Peter out of his comfort zone. I'm sure he didn't want to stay in the tannery if it was up to him. But it had forced him out of the place where he was comfortable. And we're going to see as the passage opens up that it just gets worse for Peter. He more and more is asked of him. Here we find him. He's away from home. He's away from family. He's living in the grossest of places. And as we've seen up to this point, his life is often in danger. He's well out of his comfort zone. We all have our own comfort zones, don't we? And there's nothing wrong with that as such. we all got our homes, the way we like them. We, we have food the way that we like it. We have our own routines. We have our own habits. We have the people that we like to spend time with, the clothes that we like to wear, our time that we claim to be our own. We don't like it if anybody tries to take that away or uh, to change things. We just say, I'm comfortable exactly where I am. We get irritated if for some reason we have to change the times, the places and the people that make us feel comfortable. But what if, what if God wanted you to change something in your life? What would you say? What if he wanted you to befriend people that you don't normally speak to? What if he wants you to be involved with church when it eats into your your own time? What if he wants you to change your routine? Would you do it for Jesus? Or would you say, no, I can't do that. I do such and such at that time. I don't like doing that. My time is my time and my money is my money. Let's consider Peter here for a moment. To obey Jesus, Peter goes to live in this tannery. Peter, who was once comfortable in his own home by the shores of Galilee with his own wife, with his own family. He had his own business, but he walked away from that. He walked away from the security because he counted the cost and he decided and he realized that Jesus was worth it. Jesus was worth it moving from where he was comfortable from to where Jesus wanted him to be and of course look no further than Jesus himself don't need to look it up but Philippians 2 verses 5 to 8 tells us uh, about Jesus moving out of his comfort zone for our benefit says that he took the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death <coughs> on the cross and this is what Jesus did for his people he was, he is equal with God but he made himself of no reputation he died on the cross he left the comfort of heaven behind to save you and to save me Much more uh, is about to be asked of Peter and um, something strange happens here when we see this vision. 
uh, of the food. Uh, verse 2 to 7, if your Bible is open, introduce us to Cornelius, just, just a little introduction uh, of another outsider. He's actually sent men to fetch Peter and to bring him back to his house. Um, but we'll come back to that in a minute. Let's just look for now at this vision. Look at verses 9 to 16, if your Bible's open. What is going on here? Verse 10, Peter's hungry. Peter doesn't know it here, but God is preparing Peter for what is about to come next. Peter doesn't know it, but but something just as ordinary as hunger uh, is going to be used uh, by the Lord. God is preparing Peter for for what is about to happen using something as simple and something as ordinary as his own hunger. And that's what God does. He uses the ordinary, he uses the mundane stuff in our lives. What is happening in your life right now? And if your heart is in the right place, if you're seriously looking for God's will in your life, then he's going to use what you're going through today for his glory. He's going to use that to bring you to where he needs you to be just as he did here with Peter so those illnesses those sleepless nights the annoying neighbours the skills that you're learning uh, right now now the friend that has snubbed you he can use it all even the very mistakes that you have made in the past God can turn that around and bring you to the place where he needs you to be and that's exactly what Romans 8.28 means he says this, and we know that in all things, in all things, God works for the purpose of those, for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. God can use this ordinary stuff to lead you so that you will be where he needs you to be, to do the work that he wants you to do. With Peter, it's simple. It's just hunger that prompts him to go up onto the rooftop. Because that's where God needed him to be, on the rooftop. And it's when he's here, Peter has this vision. Sheet comes down from heaven. Can you picture it in your mind's eye? There's a vision. The sheet comes down. The Bible tells us that on, on the sheet is all manner of four-footed animals, reptiles and birds. What the Old Testament calls unclean animals and Jewish people didn't eat them tells us here that that happened three times it's basically all the stuff that Peter couldn't eat so Peter's hungry he's on the roof and all the stuff that he can't eat up until this point is being put in front of him and Peter's told to kill and eat Peter's horrified he's absolutely horrified I can't eat it your word tells me not to and I'm a good Jewish man. That's Peter's reaction here. Have a look at verse 14. Surely not, Lord. That was Peter's reaction. Surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The response comes quickly in verse 15. Do not call anything unclean that God has made. So why the change in the rule, you may say? But things had changed and what was it? It's simple, it was Jesus. Jesus was the change. Jesus was what made the difference. These animals, the uncleanness that they represented didn't matter anymore because they were just symbols of something else. But Jesus, the real thing, came 
there's no more requirement for these Old Testament food laws for, or for the slaughtering of animals or to wear certain clothes or to abstain from certain foods. Jesus fulfilled all these requirements. He is holy and he is pure and he is um, the real thing that, that is represented in the Bible. And we will put our faith in him we put our faith in his sacrifice at, at Calvary. We don't need those ceremonial laws anymore that Peter was clinging to. God's saying here, it's okay, Peter, to move on. Sometimes God asks us to change. And initially Peter didn't want to. Verse 14, what does he say? Surely not, Lord. He didn't want to go forward to the next bit. He said, I am not doing it. But God's continuing to move Peter from his comfort zone over here to where he needs him to be over here. We hate change. I hate change. I think we all do. I'm going to tell you a very, I think, funny, but true and maybe sad story. Um, I was going into a church one day when I witnessed two men having a conversation. Uh, one was saying to the other one, we'll call him Jimmy, okay? Um, could you lift the offering on the right-hand side of the church this week? This is true. I saw it. And Jimmy said no. He says, well, well why not? That's the other way when you not lift it on the right-hand side. And his answer was very simple. I sit on the left-hand side. And that was it. He wouldn't do it. He refused to do it because he wouldn't make that little change in his life for, for one night, for one hour. I thought, seriously? Really? We've got to move on in our faith. We can't get stuck in ruts like that. We can't get stuck in our comfort zone when, when we're sacrificing what it is that Jesus wants us actually to do. Maybe the Lord's asking you to move on today. Maybe the Lord's asking you to leave something behind and maybe he's calling you out of your comfort zone. And figuratively speaking, maybe he wants you to sit on the other side of the church to do the thing that you don't normally do or would never consider doing the things that you consider unclean maybe it's time like Peter to change question here then is what are you saying to Jesus today is it no is it surely not like, like Peter in verse 14 or is it like Jimmy no I sit on the left hand side I don't do that Perhaps it's time just to say yes to Jesus. Say, yes, I will forgive that person who has offended me. I don't reserve that right anymore um, to hold offense. Yes, I will get baptized. Yes, I will start that regular quiet time that I avoid every morning because I like my sleep. Yes, I will befriend that lonely brother and sister um, who I've been avoiding. Yes, I will leave my comfort zone for Jesus. Just as Peter is wondering what this vision is all about, he's told to go downstairs in verse 20. Verse 23, he, he leaves with the guys who have called at his house, and albeit slightly reluctantly, he heads off to look for Cornelius. So who is Cornelius? Who, who was he? Verses 4 and 5, or 4 to 5, um, 
sorry, the, the opening verses um, introduces to Cornelius. He was a, a Roman soldier. He was a centurion. That means he was in charge of a hundred soldiers. And I think Cornelius was a man to be obeyed, a man not to be messed with. If you think Russell Crowe and Gladiator, you're sort of getting beginning to get the picture of what Cornelius may have looked like and the authority that he had. Cornelius and his kind were responsible for the occupation of Israel, the abuse and the persecution of the Jewish people. Uh, the, the Romans were responsible, uh, certainly facilitated the crucifixion of Jesus. So to Peter, Cornelius was very much an outsider to be avoided at all costs. So, for many reasons, Peter didn't want to speak to Cornelius. You can understand that. Never mind bringing him the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter's quick to point out, even in verse 28, if you have a look there, that, that it was against Jewish religion and law to even speak to Cornelius. Then you can tell, although Peter says, I came without um, question, and you can tell it was irking Peter a little bit, just to have been inconvenienced by a Roman soldier. But things are becoming clear to Peter here. This vision, the unclean food, this was God's preparation of Peter's heart. I wonder this morning, is God preparing your heart for something? You're left wondering, maybe, like Peter, what is going on in your life, but maybe God is preparing your heart for something that he will reveal later. Peter gets it now. Have a look at verse 34. He gets it now. The gospel isn't just for people like him. It's for other people outside. Verse 34. The light bulb comes on in Peter's head. Do you ever get that moment when you just understood something? What does Peter say? I now realize. Peter gets it. I now realize. God's saying to Peter, you have to explain the gospel to the outsider, to the people you don't normally associate with. For Cornelius and to people like him. And that's the way it's going to be, Peter, going forward. Perhaps God has brought a situation into your life today, and you are wondering what is it all about. What does it mean? Like Peter in verse 17, you're pondering what God is trying to tell you. Well, trust me, it will become clear. If you're serious about finding God's will, it will become clear, and in God's time, he will reveal what he means what you need to do right now is to trust him be patient and wait and down the road it will become clear and you will say like Peter I now realise why God brought me into that position why God brought that person into my life we're told quite a bit about Cornelius' character in, in this passage in fact, the surprising thing is that Cornelius doesn't fit into that scurry, stereotypical, violent occupation of Roman soldier. Instead, verse 2 begins and tells us that he was God-fearing, that he gave generously to the, to the poor. He prayed to God regularly. If you look down to verse 22, it says he was respected by all of the Jewish people. His natural enemies respected him. And you know what? Because 
of his background, his association with, let's put it in word commas, the bad guys, we really shouldn't like Cornelius either. But he doesn't fit into that mold. It actually seems like Cornelius is a humble man. And I think we would have liked Cornelius in spite of his background. Probably the sort of man you can't help but like. And here's the but. In spite of being this nice guy, in spite of being strangely popular, even with his natural enemies, in spite of being God-fearing, what does he need? He still needed Jesus. He still needed to be saved. Think back for a wee minute. Think back to when we talked about Saul. Remember Saul? Became Paul. Well, Saul was the polar opposite of Cornelius. Saul was Jewish, so he was an insider by Peter's standards. But Saul had a nasty, hate-filled personality. Remember how we found him out trying to kill the Christians? Compare that him to Cornelius, the Roman, who was the outsider, but he had a pleasant personality. Poles apart. But what did they have in common? They needed Jesus. Jesus had to intervene into both of their lives to save them. Religion was no good to Paul. Religion was no good to Cornelius. Religion is no good to us either. We need Jesus, we need his gospel, and we need the cross. And that's why Peter had to go and explain it to Cornelius. Peter finds himself standing in front of Cornelius and he realises it. That's why I'm here. That's why God gave me hunger and brought me to the rooftop. That's why God gave me this vision so that I, he could explain to me what I need to do next. So in verses 39 to 43, Peter explains the gospel to Cornelius. Verse 39, they killed Jesus by hanging him on a tree. Verse 40, God raised Jesus on the third day. Verse 41, he was seen by those that God had chosen to see him. Verse 42, Jesus commanded the disciples to go and tell that he is the one appointed as judge over the living and the dead. And verse 43, and here's the big one. Here's the one that Peter's been building to. Everyone who believes in Jesus will receive forgiveness for their sin. Everyone who believes in Jesus will receive forgiveness for their sin. There's a power with this message. If the gospel, there's a power with it. Verse 44, we see that the Holy Spirit falls on everyone in the room. Cornelius and his friends receive Jesus and they accept the message. The outsiders are now insiders. They are brothers and sisters in Christ with Peter and with the other believers who came along with Peter. To consolidate this fact and just to, to affirm and to acknowledge that they're now a part of the same family. In verse 47 and 48, Peter instructs them to be baptized. Baptized into the family as Jesus had already commanded. The outsider became the insider through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two men who were opposed in every way are now brothers because Jesus had died at Calvary to buy them back and bring them into his family. 
pretty much finished now, but just as I do, I just want to ask a question or two before we leave, hopefully just by way of challenging you. Uh, firstly, to the Christians, just want to ask you, are you happy? Are you happy in your comfort zone? Or are you saying yes to Jesus? Are you going to, to go from here and to do what it is that Jesus wants you to do? Or are you, at first are you going to say no? Peter took a little bit of persuasion, but I would urge you to say yes to Jesus. Prioritize correctly and move from your comfort zone and move to where Jesus wants you to be. To the unbeliever, maybe you've got religion. A bit like Cornelius here, he had a little bit of religion. He was he was sincere and he prayed, and that's good. But it's not good enough. There's still something else that you need. And what is it? It's Jesus. You need Jesus. And you need to say yes to Jesus too. So the believer needs to say yes. And the unbeliever needs to say yes. But the unbeliever needs to say yes. I am a sinner. The unbeliever needs to say yes. I accept you Jesus. And I accept the cross at Calvary. And I accept what you did for me. As the only way that I will obtain Forgiveness for sin and entry to heaven. Just going to sing another song um, as uh, we close now, and then when we finish that, I'm just going to close uh, in prayer. Um, just remind me what that last song is. This is amazing grace. Couldn't be a better hymn um, after what we've been talking about. So let's all just stand and sing, and when we're finished, I close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the amazing words. Uh, of the song, Lord, that you would lay down your life, that we would be set free. Father, we thank you that you have made uh, the orphans sons and daughters, and we are now in your family. You have brought us to the outsiders in uh, to your family. You have saved us and you have redeemed us. Call us by your name, Lord, and just prepared eternity for us. And we, for that, uh, we give you thanks and praise. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would go with us as we depart, Lord, that your word would continue just to rest on our hearts, challenging us and changing us, Lord. For your glory, Lord Jesus. Amen.